morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumpter. Hi, Stacey. How are you? I'm doing well. It's the first time we've been doing the radio show in the same room, John, so this is kind of nice. We're talking here in Singapore in this beautiful Mandarin hotel that we're in. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. We must be VIPs, but this takes my whole script away, which I, I can't ask you, where are you today? Yep, sorry. Cause, no, nowhere are you. Because you're right here. <laughs> I know exactly where yeah. you are. We've been in town in Singapore for um, the HR Tech Festival, um, which just ended last night, um, and we're in process. Stacy's going to Shanghai. Yeah, I'll be going to Shanghai on Sunday, spending a week there at the HR Technology Conference for uh, China, and uh, really excited. Um, this is my first opportunity to get to Singapore and my first opportunity to get to Shanghai and sharing the... Um, brand new released um, breakout of the CR Cedar data for um, the Asia Pacific market. And that was actually really exciting to get to share something new that was based on just those organizations headquartered here. So, yeah, it's been a fun event. So so I had a chance to sit in your session yesterday, and I, I um, was blown away by what you're doing. Would, would you mind taking a little bit of time before we get into the rest of the radio show and just talk about what have you found out in your research overall? You've built this really interesting model of how HR technology goes together, and and I assume that's the backbone of your research, but I, I actually don't know. So so talk a little bit about that. Well, I, I think what, what you're refer- referring to is our human capital management blueprint. Um, this is actually – we've – been building on this well for the last five years that I've been here because I, I think that the big thing that that we found um, over the last several years is that HR technology used to be very much of a process driven conversation and it still is in a lot of places but the processes drove the categorization basically you had a process around every area and every area then had a module that was tied to a process. Um, and we realized that when we were starting to talk to people on the survey or, you know, hearing their feedback, they weren't buying projects and tools and, um, the, the HR technology environments based off of the process anymore. They were buying them these days based off of their strategy, off of their culture needs. And more importantly, I think, and more interesting is their data and data governance needs. Um, and so what we tried to work through is a new model and that you saw yesterday, which is really how you start your HR technology conversation is not about the processes and it's not a map of all the different tools. It's you start it with that data governance strategy and culture conversation in the center. And it's almost like a little block, uh, a, a, a four dimensional block that has a lot of little ways that you're going to fit things to it. And around it fits the categories of HR technology that you're purchasing. Um, that's all your administrative HR technology, all of your service delivery HR technology, all of your talent management, workforce management, workforce intelligence applications. Um, and then even your emerging technology fits in those categories because we find that organizations have to think about emerging technology at the same time that they're thinking about their basic payroll systems, which is used to be something that was sort of separated pretty um, clearly, because now you have to think about the mobile or artificial intelligence, as you've been talking about, benchmarking, at the same time you're making decisions about which payroll systems you have. So it's been really fascinating to sort of tie all that together as categories of technology, not a specific module or not a specific 
piece of software. It fits in a category of the type of thing you're trying to achieve. And then on the outside of it sits all the processes and policies that you have in HR and then your business. And outside of that sits all of your business systems that have to connect to those technologies um, that are either connected through APIs, underlying data models, um, you know, and that includes not just your finance and your customer management systems, but your pro- workforce productivity tools as well, like Microsoft Office and Google. So that's that's the underlying architecture for the entire research at this point in time. And that's, I think, what you saw that you hadn't seen previously. We've, we rolled it out last year in the research, but it is, it is basically mine and my team's sort of best thinking about how this all fits together and how people are creating their environments. So it takes, a, it takes a, an extremely complex environment and makes it intelligible. And that's, that's, that's something that none of the other famous talking heads, me included, have, have come close to doing well. If, if somebody who's listening to this wanted to get a hold of that picture and a better understanding of it, how do they do that? That's actually pretty easy. That's just downloading the CR Cedar annual HR system survey. Go to the CR Cedar website. Click on the HR system survey button, and all they have to do is put their name and a little bit of information about the company, and they can download it. So, um, and I will have to tell CRC to say thank you because <laughs> this is a, a nice way for them to get more downloads. But it, that's where it's at. Uh, it's part of that whole research. It's just embedded in it. So, so, yeah. so, so if you're listening to this, I couldn't begin to tell you how important it would be if you went and downloaded the CRC to research because. What Stacy has done is created a, a singular way of thinking about all of the things we talk about on this radio show over and over and over again in a single picture that, from what I could tell, covers everything. And so as a map for thinking about how you fit in the market if you're a vendor or what capabilities you want if you're a practitioner or how to design your purchasing strategy if you're in the acquisition part of, of the HR tech department, this is a Bible. This is a Bible and well worth having. So get a copy, and, and I think I think we don't get enough time in our show regularly to, to talk about the work that Stacey and I both do. This is an opportunity to see where the depth comes from in these conversations. So... So do download it. And, and again, it was awesome, Stacey. It was totally awesome to see that. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. I mean, I think your your comment just really strikes me is um, the thing about these events and these conferences and, and all of us who, who who sort of travel and share insights and gather insights on a research basis, we oftentimes don't get to see each other's work, right? We, we talk almost, you know, on a continuous basis, especially spring and fall during the conference season. Um, and when I travel like this, even here in Singapore, I take the advantage, and I think you do as well, and so do many of the others, to actually sit down and listen to some of our colleagues. And that is one of the one of the best parts about some of these events is you get to hear how some of the ideas that you've been working on sort of connect with how other people have been working on. And then we take the time to talk to the customers who are actually doing the work. You know, everyone always asks me, is the travel season grueling? You know, how do you go through, you know, 13 weeks of travel and, you know, in, in three months, but it's absolutely fascinating because, you know, you get to see so many different things more at these events. That's right. That's right. That's that, And that's where a lot of our, um, um, shared cynicism comes from. <laughs> <laughs> we do see a lot of the 
same stuff sometimes too. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's 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 so interesting because when when you when you see as many different situations and vendors as we do, uh, the thing that's most noticeable is that is that vendors have a hard time really talking about what they do that's different from other people. Yeah. It's not that they are not different. Every vendor is unique and different, but the stories sound the same. Yeah. And so part of what we learn how to do on the road is to listen hard enough to understand where the difference is in stories that sound exactly the same. The thing that really, and, and I travel quite a bit. You travel as well internationally. You know, we've done a lot of uh, trips, you know, sort of throughout various European events and, and conferences throughout North America and there's been conferences in South America. This is my, my and, and I've done a couple of conferences in India, I think you have as well. This is the first trip here in Singapore. And every time I travel outside the U.S. for an event like this, I'm always looking to see if those stories are different. If if, if a vendor uh, community has cracked that code and, and figured out how to be more, you know, authentic, more more real about what they're presenting. And I'll say, I really, you know, the same buzzwords that we heard over and over again, you know, for the last couple of weeks in the, you know, North America market, we're hearing here as well. You know, chatbots, artificial intelligence, um, HR, you know, digitization. It was all over every placard. Every and they were beautifully painted placards, but, <laughs> but they're really so much of the same language. And I do feel for the buyers because it's just got to be an overwhelming amount of just buzz overkill, right? Just, just too many words, too many things that don't really tell them how they're going to use these tools in their in their organization. So that's that's I think one of the things I'm taking away this week is that you know every HR technology community is struggling with the same thing. They've just got the vendors are 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 being um, are too focused on the marketing language these days. It feels. Oh, I, I don't I don't know that that's new. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't I don't know that that's new. I think that's the problem with with taking what might be good engineering and handing it over to somebody who isn't an engineer is um, that there's that there's a constrained universe of, of language, right? And so, so if you look at, it's very interesting to go to Google AdSense and get an estimate of the cost of a of a, a search phrase like AI and HR, <laughs> um, and because it's in such demand, the price for it's yeah. really high. So, so, so. There is a a behavior of sort of flocking to the latest buzzwords that is um, symptomatic of marketing of young companies in particular. Yeah, and and you know there was a one of the presenters this week here. Um, I was actually doing a sort of an in country, uh, sort of very very regional focused um, Asia Pacific only HR technology survey. Her name is uh, Pip Philip um, Philippa or Pip, you might call her. Uh, Pandora, and she did a great, a great series of questions about sort of what the current and local um, environment um, knows about the HR technology market, not just sort of, you know, the data on what they might have or what they might be buying, but, but a sense of sort of the existing knowledge in the market. And one of the most fascinating slides that I saw, and I, I think she did a great job in asking this question, she, she put a list of just a lot of the words we hear in our industry down. And she asked people, how well do you know these terms? Do you think you know and can explain this to someone else, basically? Um, And at the top of the list, 
people felt they could definitely explain things like artificial intelligence and what a chatbot was and how it would work. But what they couldn't explain, down at the very bottom, only about 10% or so of her uh, very large survey said they could explain APIs. And I was blown away by how different those two things are and how much an API is actually, I think, more important these days than knowing what the word artificial intelligence means or chatbot. Don't you think so, John? I mean, this was this was one of the blowaways for me. Well, well, so so the world is getting increasingly technical. That's the world is getting increasingly technical, and the work of even even functions as importantly human as the human resources department is starting to carry these technical things. An API is an application programming interface, <laughs> and and what an API does is it enables you to take data from one system and use it in another system. And sometimes they're as simple as importing and exporting and mapping fields, like everybody knows how to do with spreadsheets. Um, And sometimes they have very dynamic variables, so what you get is not a table translation, but a stream of data that is designed for your specific use as the output of the API. And so APIs are that data interface, and and some vendors offer very sophisticated APIs, and some vendors offer table translation. And um, um, understanding the level of quality in the APIs of the product that you're buying the reason that's important is because that's how you get the data that's in one system to talk to the data that's in another system, yeah. uh, or how you port the data into a lake of some kind so you can you can muck around with all of the all of the data. And when it comes to purchasing, this is a discriminating difference, right? Huge, right, yeah. right. It, and and so it's probably more important to get the API mechanism right than it is to have a sexy intuitive interface yeah uh, because the api allows you to build a, a people analytics function uh, where the user interface doesn't allow you to do that when you figure that on average organizations over ten thousand employees have somewhere in the range of 80 plus integration points with their hr systems with non-hr environments those APIs become absolutely critical as to whether or not you can maintain, do your data analysis, even upkeep your entire so, 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 so the center line of the distribution is 80, but it's not unusual to hear of, of somebody having two or 300, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, we have them, yeah. Right? And, and so you've got two or 300 systems that you want to integrate. You better have reliable and predictable interfaces for doing that, and that's what the APIs are. Yeah, this has been, I mean, for me, and, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective on this, John. I think this event has been really informative. Um, not only, I think there was, I think they said, I, I could be wrong on this. I don't have the exact numbers, but somewhere in the range of like 5,000 people here. I think yeah, that was number. Like that. Yeah, it was, it was a really great group. Um, a, a nice, I'd say, mix, which, which is, I think, one of the greatest thing about the, the overall Asia Pacific market of, of sort of a mixture of both youth as well as sort of the, um, older generation of the HR technology market. So you saw everyone from the top CIO and the top CHRO here down to the 
um, early, you know, analyst in the HR technology market, which is really great. We don't oftentimes see that at the HR technology events. It's sort of a wide mix of generations. And then we also saw, I think here, a, a wide mix of topics. So they had topics that ran from the sort of core HR conversation to the HR technology conversations to recruiting and talent management, as well as innovation and CXO information. So um, these, this was a, a well, I think, designed event with a lot of different um, information for different audiences. What do you think, John? I mean, did you get, you know, good conversations here? I had great conversations. I'm, I'm a big fan of Singapore, which is the first, I believe, the first intentionally designed national culture, right? They, they had a team come and, and figure out how the culture was going to work because what they wanted to do in Singapore was create a culture that was conducive to doing business and to become the best place to do business in the world. And they, they've come remarkably close. There's a lot of really interesting infrastructure and accomplishment here. But what you see in the community is this implicit understanding of how to design and manage culture. And so so what what got my attention is that people in Singapore take some things about organizational culture that we think are magic for granted and know how to do really interesting things with it. So, so that was the part that got me. Yeah. And I think, you know, with that organizational culture, I mean, you know, sort of understanding that they're working on sort of changing, actually bringing two very different cultures together, right? They actually have um, uh, very different cultures, both in the um, different regions where they have populations come from here, but also in the fact that they have a very differentiated group of workforces in the market as well, um, both by generation and by um, uh, female and male and, and other different issues that they're dealing with. And what I found intriguing in a lot of the conversations is that there was a clear difference between, um, I would I would call them the youth, right? And their perspective on both culture and work and what they expected as their sort of role in their own career management compared to the rest of the audience. Um, And that was fascinating to see how um, these HR professionals, and that's what they are, they're all HR professionals, all working in the HR environment, are navigating that um, in a culture that's, that's fairly prescriptive almost, right? Because they're trying to change something that has been designed in a certain way, right? Yeah, so, so, so what I liked, I sat through a bunch of the women in HR tech curriculum here. Yeah, we should and, do a call out. Gina Kelly did a fabulous job on oh, it, by the way. Oh, man, yeah. man. There, 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 were some, there were some amazing things that happened. But, yeah. but as I watched the women in tech thing, one of the things that was clear was that the people who were able to ask questions yeah. were all under 30. And so there are really noticeable generational differences in the understanding of the role of women in the workplace that would manifest in this session. And um, it was it was powerful and exciting to see it. Yeah, there was um, the other thing I think that was interesting was that the, the mix of speakers they had here. There were, there's quite a few of us who came from, I think, uh, the traditional sort of um, events um, at HR Tech, partially because LRP is the one now who um, owns this HRM Asia event. And um, they've brought some of sort of the people that work in the LRP environment, like Steve Bose, who we all know, um, Trish McFarlane, um, as well as myself and John, um, Josh Burson, Jason Aberbrook, 
uh, Gene and Kelly, great group, I think, of, of sort of a mixture of different perspectives on what's happening in the HR technology space. Um, but that was definitely infused with, I think, some of the best local talent I've seen in this region around sort of really thought-provoking, you know, approaches to talent management and uh, culture conversations and um, how technology is supposed to support HR versus um, how you pick a specific type of technology. There was very little about um, sort of a um, the technology and how I use it as a, as a tool and very much conversation about how I'm developing my talent community throughout all the presentations that I saw. There's also, I think, a heavier emphasis on strategy than, yes. than um, we see in the States, right? In the States, it's not uncommon to hear people say things are moving too fast for anybody to ever have a strategy. You hear that. You don't hear that here. People, people were talking about building strategies. People were delivering sessions about how to build strategies. And um, there's, there's a sense here that, that's missing, I think, in our domestic market that you can understand and control the future if you're attentive to it. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good. So, so when I was sitting, I did there where they had a, like a CXO, CIO, where they had a, a session that was specifically designed for the HR audience and the uh, IT audience to start to get some conversations going. Sort of interesting, of course, though, when people sort of sat themselves down, the IT group all sat on one table, the HR audience all sat at another table. <laughs> And and then there was this sort of mix in the back because it was a talk about performance and productivity, right? And there was a lot more of the youth that were at that table than there was at any of the other tables. It was a fascinating sort of, I think, uh, example of how you might try and design it, but everybody sort of goes in their own little worlds. But one of the, the conversations we were talking about was artificial intelligence and robotic process automation, big topics throughout the entire session. Um, and after they got done talking about all the ways that RPA could be used and what AI was or wasn't, we started to talk about the importance of data cleaning at the table that I was in because I was at the all CIOs and I was actually the HR representative at that table, which I was, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm the, I'm, it's been a while since I've been actually sitting in an HR role, but I tried to make sure that I got that point across the table. And one of the things we were talking about was that importance of data cleaning and all five of the, the, the CIOs sitting at that table who were from very large um, global um, organizations who are located and headquartered here uh, in the Asia-Pacific market. Either um, One was from India, the rest were from the Singapore audience. Every one of them said they had a data cleaning governance model. Every one of them said that HR was at that process and at that table when they did that, and that it was on a continuous basis they were doing a data governance approach. I don't know that I would hear that in the U.S. from a table like that. Oh no, I don't. I don't think you do. I, yeah. In fact, in fact, um, what you're more likely to hear is people being terrified by yeah. by the idea that you would have to do something like that because data governance is a super political process, right? Particularly in the beginning. In the beginning, you have to get standardization in places where there's the the absence of standardization, and the absence of standardization is always the mark of somebody who is um, uh, protecting some kind of a turf. And so so when you go in and you clean up the data structures, 
you're really doing something that changes the way people get things done and the way they think about their terrain. And so it, it's not an easy thing to do. You have to, you have to be ham-handed sometimes to, to get things done. And that, that means that, that um, the person in charge of the data governance process is not always the most popular person on campus. That is, a, I always ask who owns the data governance or who owns your employee profile in your organization. And there's always that blank look oftentimes <laughs> because no one wants to own it, right? Right. Yeah, it was clear here. I did ask who owned it in this audience and, and, and there was most of the time it sounded like IT is still owning it here, but it was pretty clearly. But it was, it was definitely, I think, there is a sense that if you're using technology here and there are a lot, lot fewer organizations, like they don't use them as quickly at the small organizations, the HR technology. So, so on average, they're using 70% of the market is using something like 4HRMS, where you see that at 90% um, elsewhere in the regions. Um, but if they're using it, I think they're using it more strategically. They get the underlying importance of clean data and system integrations and those type of things a little bit more, it feels like, at least at that level that we were talking. Well, well so it's the interesting thing. In order, to, in order to go from third world country to first world country in a generation, everything about Singapore in particular is infrastructure is what matters. Yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's really, it's impossible to describe the level of accomplishment you can we sat at dinner on a rooftop um, uh, a couple of times during the week and uh, there are there must be 75 60 story buildings wrapped around the harbor um, in, in, and and none of them are older than 10 years old um, and so and so the, there's just been this extraordinary explosion of growth and it's all built on a subway system and a power and communications grid that's able to handle that level of growth. And they're still hungry for more growth, even though this is a little island and real estate is precious. Infrastructure is right. And so everybody who lives here understands that getting the infrastructure right is the key to growth. Uh, and, and so when you see something like data governance, being embraced as a discipline, it's that. It's it's the understanding that infrastructure is the key to growth. Well, definitely came through. Now, you were doing a lot of conversations about AI and how to prepare for it and what organizations should be thinking about with it. How did that go over with this audience? Did, did, was it, did you get questions? Or did you get sort of more input or insight in some areas or, or different types of concerns from the audience? So so it's it's a funny thing. The first time I came to Singapore, um, I gave what is a sort of a standard John talk. Nobody in the audience did anything. I told jokes and nobody laughed. It was, it was, you know, the, the experience of doing an international talk can be quite disturbing the first time because, because audiences have different things. This time I was able to make people laugh and able to offer some crumbs that allowed people to come in and ask conversations. The things that people are most concerned about here are the impact of this technology on their jobs. Mm. I've been doing some research, and in uh, Europe and North America, everybody believes that the technology is going to affect somebody else's job and isn't going to affect their job. 
<laughs> Here, it seems like the opposite is true. Yeah. Right. And so, and so, the questions that I got had to do with how do you interact with the technology, and how do you stay abreast of it, and how do you harness it. Um, and that's not the same question set that I get in the U.S. or Europe. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, just understanding, I think the kind of questions they're going to ask, I think, is is valuable for the vendors because there were a lot of vendors that we see at both events. We saw vendors here who ADP was here, um, uh, Virgin Pulse was here, Cornerstone was here. There, there was a lot of the same vendors that we see at many of the events. But you did see, I think, a different twist, at least, on sort of how they were approaching the topics they were covering in many cases. I should shout out Cornerstone. Um, So I was walking through the expo floor, and I walked by the Cornerstone booth, and the Cornerstone booth had a raised floor that I tripped over. Um, (laughs) They did have a raised floor, yes. (laughs) and, And when I tripped, the head of marketing interrupted her conversation with a client and came over to make sure that I was okay. Mm. And that, uh, I don't think would happen in the States. I don't, I don't think that would happen at all in the States. But it was certainly uh, certainly something about the Cornerstone brand that that is uh, friendly and engaging and concerned about people that I saw manifested on the floor. That's a very good story. Yeah, there was, um, we also saw, um, you know, um, some of the people that we know from the area. So Virgin Pulse did a bid, uh, brought in Wendy, who's their head of marketing over there, who uh, um, many of us know from the States. Um, and she was able to do some interviews with some of the, the people who were speaking. And it was sort of nice to see sort of this this sort of mixture of sort of um, the conversations that we're getting already in, in you know, so the North American market starting and then seeing some of the newer infusions, I think, of topics that are going on here. So Wendy and I were talking about how interesting it was that, you know, in the States, sort of, there's a lot of conversation about wellness as part of a sort of a technology and engagement platform, right? Um, she said, you know, in Singapore, or at least in the Asia Pacific market, they're still sort of having to make the case that wellness is, is in and of itself a thing that's separate from sort of the rest of the HR technology environment. So there are places where we're seeing some of the things that easily have sort of grown rapidly uh, in North America are, are taking a little bit different turn, I think, in the Asia-Pacific market. Um, and so that'll be interesting to see, like, which which product areas, I think, grow more quickly in, in this region. But we do know this region is growing. I mean, 72% of organizations, at least in our data set, said that they were increasing their HR technology budget over the next 12 months. So it's, which compared to 39% of those in the North America market. So. Well, we've blown through our, our allotted time, Stacy, and we didn't get to any news. We but, did. <laughs> but, but we certainly got a good dump on what's going on in the Singapore market, yes, right? And, and, and it was exciting. So thanks for taking the time to do this. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will see you back here next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.